Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, before we begin our discussion today, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pronobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. So, um, we're, uh, we're just a little under two weeks away from Ash Wednesday, and so we're going to uh, continue our discussion of uh, Lenten practices uh, where we left off last week. We Last week we discussed uh, fasting, and so this week we thought we would discuss um, almsgiving. Uh, the the aim of which is to make us all feel bad for how little we're doing. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> well, I I, uh, I got out, I found this article um, from the Church Pop website called "The Third Pillar of Lent: How Almsgiving Benefits the Soul According to the Saints," and it says that the root word alms comes from ancient Latin and Greek words meaning mercy. So no, it's not actually. To make us feel guilty. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I got to reframe my whole understanding now. Um, but, but, but it has some uh, helpful definitions here. It says, almsgiving helps us practice detachment from earthly things. It is not limited to the giving of material possessions. Instead, it is the gift of oneself to another. So, I mean, I, I think most of us would associate almsgiving with um, some type of financial gift or uh, material gift. But but actually, um, if, you know, according to this article, there's really a much more, the church really has a much more full understanding of just what we mean by almsgiving. And so, it can broadly be summed up as an act of charity. Right, right. And um, so the um, some some of the uh, examples that they give, you know, that we could. So if we're if we're kind of, you know, just wondering as we make our plans for Lent, you know, what what our almsgiving is going to consist of, they have some suggestions here. I mean, it's just a place to start, but um, they talk about. Uh, volunteering at a a food bank, soup kitchen, or, you know, a pregnancy center. Um, this is one that I really appreciate, offer free babysitting or other. <laughs> I, I, I don't need that anymore, but back in the day, it sure sure would have been nice. Now, um, Grandma, it's it's on you to offer it, right? I'm, I'm the free babysitter, yes. <laughs> Funny how that happens. I, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and, you know, spiritual or temporal works of mercy, um, 
So that could be, that encompasses, of course, a whole wide range of things. It could be like, you know, spending time with the sick and elderly. Um, and then also, you know, donating to a, a charity. So um, really, it, it, even if we think that we're not in a position to donate much financially, we definitely, we all are capable of almsgiving in one way or another. Well, an, an important part of giving is that we do it out of love of God and thus out of love for neighbor. Uh, because if we just give to check it off on our uh, I'm holy list, then we failed and we're it's it's actually our I'm not holy list. Well, and um, Deacon Patrick, that uh, th that's a great point because in in as this article goes on, it's it's fairly lengthy. I mean, basically, um, what they talk about is how you know all almsgiving benefits the person giving as much as the recipient, and a big way that it benefits is benefits us is by um in a sense kind of atoning for sins so um and and apparently over the years uh, quite a few saints have reiterated that idea so um it's so for example saint clement of alexandria uh has a quote now i mean now obviously you know it's not really a quote, probably, but uh, a, maybe an excerpt from his writings saying that um, sins are purged by alms and acts of faith. And then, um, let's see, there's another one here, I believe, from uh, uh, St. Polycarp. When you when you can do good, defer it not because alms delivers from death. And then Saint Basil the Great said, "The acts of charity you do not perform are the injustices you commit." That's kind of a harsh one, but um, <laughs> so so yeah so, <laughs> so yeah I mean it's it's um it 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 they were very firm that. Um, in a sense, we almsgiving ha has to be part of our um, spiritual life. In a sense, we're kind of incomplete um, if we don't um, make make some type of habit of of almsgiving or committing, you know, um, performing acts of charity in one way or another. So, and I don't have a saint to ascribe it to, but I've just heard it said often that almsgiving covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's comforting to think that um maybe maybe we've committed a sin that it would be tr um hard to in a sense make make up for because maybe the person has died or something, you know, and and we can't go back to them and say I'm sorry or but um but like by performing an act of charity in a sense that could, that could take the place of that in some way in God's, you know, in, in God's time. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, um, it's definitely a, a, a good motivator, I think. And, um, 
also too in in the catechism uh the the so it's uh points 1434 to 1439 also kind of uh, address the role of alms, like Lenten practices and almsgiving. And um, so like in 1438, it states that the seasons and days of penance in the course of the liturgical year, Lent and each Friday in memory of the death of the Lord are intense moments of the church's penitential practice and these times are particularly appropriate for spiritual exercises, penitential liturgies, pilgrimages, and signs of, as signs of penance, voluntary self-denial, such as fasting and almsgiving, and fraternal sharing. So, uh, you know, we could think about um, if, if we're giving something up for Lent, um, maybe we're... Um, not going to stop at the coffee shop on the way into the office or something, but then we could take that money that we would have spent and give it either to, you know, something like Operation Rice Bowl or to some other um, charitable group. Um, so that kind of connects that. I mean, it seems based on what the catechism is telling us, we want to kind of make that connection there, you know, so. And one of the things our family struggled with uh, for a while was, <clears throat> well, we live in Colorado, and uh, unless you're able to go fishing uh, when the, everything's still frozen in the mountains, um, your fish costs more than meat. So what our family decided to do is go meatless um, instead of eating fish. Uh, because for that precise reason of that, that sacrifice and the almsgiving, um, there is pretty basic math there. And, uh, in Colorado fish gets a little tricky. Um, and as far as I know, uh, platypus and alligator are not on the approved list in Colorado diocese, unlike other dioceses. Yeah, that was a, I, I was, I have to say, I was surprised to learn that was a huge debate about whether alligator qualified as fish um, under the, the <laughs> Lenten regulations. And yeah, I think like in Louisiana and places like that, it's a, um, it's a big deal. But uh, last I heard, alligator does, does fall under that category, but I, I may be mistaken, but yeah, I, I mean, um Yes, Deacon Patrick, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, things like shrimp and salmon and lobster, you know, lobster are more a delicacy than a um, a sacrifice. I think, <laughs> and uh, not that you know, not that that's true for everybody necessarily. But I don't know. I've had some that wasn't fresh, and it was a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more challenging to find. Um, good seafood here. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I really like that idea. I mean, um, one of the things that j just on a real practical level, yeah, yeah one of our, um, Lenten, fr fr uh, Friday meals that's kind of become a staple is just like a, a potato soup, potato cheese soup. Um, it's um it's still filling but it has a very it's so it's like a very simple 
meal. And I, I, I think um, it definitely, uh, the family definitely gets the picture that this is different, right, mm -hmm. from our normal meals. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a bowl of soup and, and a bread, some, some side bread, and it's, it tastes good, it's filling, but it's, it's definitely toned down from probably what we'd have on a normal weeknight. So I have two quick stories about um, people giving things up for Lent, uh, and both of them involve alcohol. So uh, I was out one afternoon with my spiritual director and maybe some other folks, uh, but we were at a pub, and the priest asked if he could order us or buy us a round of drinks. And I said, yeah, but just, just water for me because I gave up alcohol for Lent. And he said, I hate it when people do that. Such killjoys. And uh, he said, I tell you what, you drink beer today and then I'll give up something for, for you tomorrow. I was like, I don't know if that's how it works, but sounds good to me, Father. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you think that this is all personal. I was blessed to go to a talk that George Weigel gave many years ago at Colorado uh, College. And afterwards, he told a story um, about when he was ha blessed to have lunch with uh, the late Pope St. John Paul the Great. And somehow the topic of wine came up as they were pouring it at lunch. And uh, George Weigel allegedly told the Pope that you may find this interesting uh, or unbelievable Pope, but many people in the United States for Lent, they give up drinking wine. And the Pope reportedly turned to him and said, well, what do they drink then? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, well, you may have heard of a uh, beer fast uh, where monks in, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Germany. Um, they only, they, they only had liquid throughout Lent and, uh, they were donated marshland and the way that you use marshland and turn it productive is you brew beer. Uh, and so they took up the practice of, uh, drinking beer as their daily bread. Uh, and the beer that they brewed, they started wondering, well, this is actually pretty good. I wonder if it's sacrificial enough. And so they sent a barrel of it to Rome and beer doesn't travel well and ages poorly in various temperatures. And, uh, by the time it got to Rome, it was definitely sacrificial. And the Pope said, anyone who drinks this anytime is, <laughs> is committing a great penance. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, um, along those lines, I can only say that uh, one time I was fortunate enough to uh, get a tour of the uh, Holy Cross novitiate out in Cascade. We were doing, can't remember now, it was a story I was working on for the Herald and, um, you know, so we go all through the the main floor of the home, which is very elegant. <clears throat> and then we go down into the basement and in these things that look like bathtubs, <laughs> I, they apparently were, were making their own beer and uh, they, you know, would, um, would uh, you know, collect old beer bottles and then fill them up with, with it. But yeah, I mean... Um, there seems to be a pretty strong connection between um, male religious orders and and beer making. Like, um, I, and I mean, I think part of it is just that that way it's it's a lot more 
economical, right? Like you're making it in huge batches and things like that. But, um, but yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. That was, you could tell for the novices there, that was definitely one of their favorite parts of the uh, experience. <laughs> I don't want to be a monk. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we could also mention um, kind of shifting gears a bit that um, this weekend is the uh, beginning of the diocesan ministry appeal. So traditionally, um, at least as long as I've been here, it starts the first uh, weekend in February. And, um, uh, you know, each prisoner is going to be asked to um, make a commitment to that. But it does, I mean, especially this year anyway, it corresponds pretty closely to the Lenten season. So that could be another way of... um, detaching yourself from material goods is what you said earlier, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and does uh, that include being detached from reality? Cause I'm accused of that often. <laughs> well, I did get my DMA uh, card in the mail and I, I do have to commend whoever um, comes up with the recommended donation amount uh, because they clearly went back like six years to the last time I didn't have a kid in college. So, should we phrase that? Not paying for a kid in college. So. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's on the optimistic side, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and, but I mean, I I think, you know, tr- truthfully, I what what Bishop Golka and before him Bishop Sheridan would always say is, um it's not so much how much that each family contributes, but, but that each family contributes. I mean, I, I think the, the goal, correct me if I'm wrong, Deacon Doug, but the goal has always been to have as many families participate as possible, even if, you know, um, in absolute terms, it's a relatively small donation, you know, but the idea is that as a diocese, um, we all benefit from these ministries usually in one way or another. And so. No, you're absolutely right. And one of the, back in the olden days before we had like envelopes and, and um, mail in things, we would often, well, I guess we were still envelopes, but we'd have to manually open them down in the finance office. And it was always a, a delight and, and a joy filled occasion to see, uh, an envelope that had clearly been filled out by a young child that would have maybe a single dollar bill in it or even a few coins. And, you know, you just, you'd think, I would think about, you know, those parents and teaching their kids the value of uh, almsgiving and um, at an early age. So, and they'd scrolled yeah, it definitely it. is about participation and not amount. And they'd scrolled it with charcoal on papyrus. <laughs> well, I don't, not there are some in crayon. I kid you not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I I I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen these. But I when I was growing up, there were they actually had child size envelopes that they hmm. would pass. You know, they were about half the size. But yeah, I, I think the um you know this is ancient times, of course. But the intention was that people you know the kids would drop coins in there. Um, maybe from chores that they had done, you know, around the house and their parents gave them a little money or, or something like that. But, 
but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, um, it definitely seems like, uh, that's one thing that the church has tried to do is make it, um, a practice, a, a lifelong practice, um, that it, it, that doesn't just start, you know, when you finally graduate college and get a job or whatever, you know, that, um, you, t- you know, you take a portion of what you have and, and give it to the church. So. And it's important to recognize, uh, along the lines of detachment from physical goods, that everything is God's. None of us made ourselves. None of us made this world into which we are born. None of us made anything that we've received, uh, in terms of, uh, inheritance or, uh, anything along those lines we may participate in co-creating and the uh, economies of community and therefore have uh, various wealth accumulate to us, but we didn't create that um, ourselves. And, and it's a form of pride if we start thinking that we have. And so the, the humility of, wait, I'm, all of this is God's. Everything that I have, everything my family has is a gift from God. And I'm called to share it with those who are uh, less fortunate and to help uh, sustain the church and help the church grow. Well, and just a couple more um, quotes from saints uh, related to almsgiving uh, mentioned in this church pop article. Uh, so here's um, one from St. Jose Maria. Uh, Give him what you can. The merit is not whether it is big or small, but it, but in the intention with which you give it. So Deacon Patrick, I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Um, you know, that we're, we're not just checking a box or, um, but it's, it really is with something that we do, you know, from the heart. And then also um, St. Francis of Assisi, let us give alms because these cleanse our souls from the stains of sin. Men lose all the material things they leave behind them in this world, but they carry with them the reward of their charity and the alms they give. For these they will receive from the Lord the reward and recompense they deserve. So kind of, I mean, seems like he's almost saying that, you know, when we um, when we die and hopefully go to heaven, you know, we'll kind of, um, the, the, any, any almsgiving that we've done while we were alive will almost, um, be part of our, part of our reward there. So. Cha-ching. Um. <laughs> well, Bill, I, I just it reminded me of that verse in Job. Um, and I'll quote like a Catholic, but, but basically it says naked I came forth from my mother's womb and naked I will depart lest it be the name of the Lord. So. Right. And, and, um, you know, one of the other, um, actually I think Deacon Doug, you're going to be speaking on this next week, um, <laughs> about the, uh, uh, not here, but, uh, at, at St. Peter's about the, um, your life, your legacy, um, presentation. And I, I think that kind of addresses that too, doesn't it? Like in terms of estate planning and, um, making sure, you know, 
kind of yeah it covers a lot it covers sort of end of life medical and and legal issues but then also funeral planning and and then also uh uh estate gifts and um so yeah it's it's a lot of a lot of uh, different presenters on uh things that deal with the end of life planning okay well um maybe in the few minutes that we have left we we cuz we had we had meant to address this last week and never got around to it but the uh, the Lenten regulations about fasting um we um we we had talked a little bit about how they um it, it at least for um for uh Catholics in the United States um it the obligation begins when when a person becomes 18 years old and until their 59th birthday um so that so the fasting is on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and then the um, ob- the obligation to abstain from meat, which we talked about earlier, um, begins applies to those who are fourteen and older. So um, yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't have an upper age limit on that as far as I can tell, but, um, uh, so age 59 is, uh, is on the abstinence as well. Okay. Uh, no, that might just be fasting. I just saw the number. So, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, um, on the, on the days that we're fasting, um, on Ash Wednesday, uh, the, there's you, there's different ways that's described, but basically, um, what seems to be the most widely held definition is that there's like one main meal um, of the day can really be any time, and then um, two small meals that don't add up to that one main meal, and nothing in between. Um, is how how it, how I understood it. And something I'd like to point out on these is, is these are minimums the way they've been put together. <clears throat> um, and the the bishops in 1966, uh, USCCB, uh, said, and, and this is in paragraph 17 of their uh, document on pastoral statement on penance and abstinence. Um, and they're referencing fasting before uh, any feast day. Um, the doubt, the devout will find greater Christian joy in the feasts of the liturgical calendar if they freely bind themselves for their own motives and in their own spirit of piety to prepare for each church festival by a day of particular self-denial, penitential prayer and fasting. <clears throat> And for uh, anyone that, that wants to consider, what did the church do before uh, the Second Vatican Council? Um, the the rules of fasting were stronger, and you can look them up. Um, and there there is a there is a manfulness that comes with it if you are able to do it. Um, and it, that's one of the things. 
that, that I have, I mentioned this somewhat last week, but, uh, because of my brain injury, I'm actually, uh, absolved from, uh, needing to fast. Uh, but I, I keep feeling the call to try and figure out how, what can I do? And, um, there's a joy in, uh, I think we talked about this last time, but there's a joy in failing and learning. Well, that didn't work. Uh, but I'm trying, which gets back to the Jose Maria Escriva, uh, quote about it's, it's your intentions, uh, that, that are the foundation, the most important. Um, and so the, the bottom line for all of these acts of Lent in the church, uh, around alms, around fasting, around prayer are to, uh, help restore right relationship. Um, and so when you look at some of the different alms in the catechism paragraphs that, uh, Veronica mentioned, uh, the, one of them, uh, mentions, uh, making, uh, reparations or reconciling with a neighbor, uh, or a family member. Um, that type of thing where we're restoring right relationship, uh, and, and really we need to strengthen our, uh, our ability to, uh, choose virtue over vice, virtue over sin. Uh, and all of these are weapons that help us to do that, that help us grow those muscles. Yeah, Deacon Patrick, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for example, uh, it used to be true that um, Catholics abstained from meat every Friday year round, not just during Lent. But when when that was when that regulation was changed, um, you know, the Pope and the bishops never said, "Well, the rest of the year just you know do whatever you want." I mean, they they <laughs> still that Friday, as it clearly states in the Catechism, is still you know a penitential day. It's just that we have more leeway. Uh, to decide how how exactly we're going what that to self denial is exactly yeah 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 the the wording on it from the uh, USCCB document is is actually fairly beautiful uh, it's paragraph twenty three it says Friday should be in each week something of what Lent is in the entire year for this reason we were we urge all to prepare for that weekly Easter that comes with each Sunday by freely making in every making of every Friday a day of self-denial and mortification in prayerful remembrance of the passion of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, you know, um, it could be, well, it could be anything, you know, um, could be giving up dessert that day, um, could be, you know, making a special effort to pray the way of the cross, but, um, yeah, definitely we're, we're still supposed to be um, aware, aware Could of be recording that. a podcast with me I mean, that's pretty <laughs> for both of you. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that might be pushing it, but um, <laughs> well, we're, we're just about out of time for today. Uh, but before we go, just want to remind everybody that um, you can hear this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on um uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and uh, several other platforms. So uh, feel free to check us out there. Before we go, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? 
Okay. Uh, did I you will catch? lead us. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria. Gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nuc in anora mortis nostre. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. <laughs>